Glory to God for all the flowers in his garden. Welcome to this episode of the Axia Women podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah Riccardi-Swartz. I'm an Orthodox Christian, the secretary of Axia Women, and an anthropologist and filmmaker. Today on this joyful celebration of Juneteenth, I am joined by Dr. Carla Thomas. Dr. Thomas practices family and emergency medicine in Alabama. She's a member of St. Luke's Orthodox Church in Anniston. She sits on the board of St. Vladimir's Orthodox Seminary, the Orthodox Christian Prison Ministry, and Axia Women. She founded Anniston, Alabama's chapterhood of the Brotherhood of St. Moses the Black, now the Fellowship of St. Moses the Black, and runs the Abba Moses Free Clinic, which serves a segment of the population that is most often uninsured, those between the ages of 19 and 64. Dr. Thomas's patron is the great unmercenary healer, St. Pantalaemon, which is one of the reasons why she charges no fees for her work at the clinic in order to give glory to God. Dr. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning. I want to dive into a few questions about you so that our audience can get to know you a little bit better. Since we've seen your beautiful face during our evening canons um, that have been streaming live um, on Oxia Women. So I'm going to start with a question that's near and dear to my own research. Are you a convert to the Orthodox Church? I am. I am. Can you tell us a little bit about this conversion story of yours and what brought you into Orthodoxy? Sure. I was in my last year at Yale studying molecular biophysics and biochemistry. My intent was to become a super sub-specialist doctor in cardiology. And so March of my last year, I was given a piece of paper by a gentleman who said, you know, if you get into trouble when you go to medical school, just call call this church. They'll help you. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, out of respect, thank you. And I put the piece of paper in my wallet. And there it was for six months. And then in September of 1978, I went to Harvard Medical School. I packed up all my belongings. And I went off to Boston. I arrived in Logan Airport, and my luggage did not. <laughs> there oh. was no luggage to be found, <laughs> and I was. I, it was. It was basically a road to Damascus experience. I, I realized right at that moment God was getting my attention mm. very clearly. And then it occurred to me, oh, yes, that little piece of paper that someone gave me six months ago. I think this is a good time to pull it out. So I pulled it out and the church came and rescued me. And that was the beginning of my journey to orthodoxy. I, I've been in the church ever since, uh, loving it, um, suffering for it, rejoicing in it. Uh, writing canons uh, for it. <laughs> it is uh, truly um, just, I, I would not be the person I am if it not were, if it not were for, you know, not for the church. Hmm. And when, when you came into the church, um, you were already on, on your way starting into Harvard Medical School, um, which is a wonderful thing that I didn't know about you. So that's great to know that you went to Harvard. 
Um, how and why did you, or or maybe you didn't, as so many people say that their patron picked them, um, how did you come by the the patron of um, such a, a glorious saint, Saint Pantaleon and the Unmercenary Healer? My godfather gave me that name. Mm. And when I started studying the saint, I realized the things that he went through, I I was going through. And I said, this is truly, truly my saint. Mm. Was it was it a struggle for you at at Harvard Medical School as a black woman? I would say that it's a struggle for everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, we all bring our strengths and our weaknesses. We bring our time, our treasure, our talents, and we struggle initially to figure out what specialty is best for us. And finally, what came to me was that I needed to be uh, well-versed in both emergency medicine and family medicine. I wanted to be able to Mm. say to God, I will see anyone who walks through the door. Mm. And there are really only two specialties that do that. And that's emergency medicine and uh, family medicine and general surgery. <laughs> right, right. I, you know, I ask you that question because as someone who helps my own students as they prepare for, for graduate um, school, um, and I work a lot with students of color, they have a lot of struggles um, as they move forward into graduate school. And it is, it's a very, you know, academia is not always a um, a caring place to be in anyway, and it's it's always a struggle for everyone. But it's it more most assuredly it seems for my students a struggle um, for minority students who are in, in higher ed. And I know that um, racial reconciliation and um, issues of race are very near and dear to your heart. And I know that you've been a deep part of the fellowship of St. Moses the Black. And so I'm wondering if you could tell us about the fellowship and sort of perhaps even why it evolved from the brother brotherhood of St. Moses the Black to the fellowship of St. Moses the Black and how you've been involved with that over time. Sure. Uh, the brotherhood of St. Moses the Black recently changed its name to fellowship of St. Moses the Black because we wanted everyone to feel that they could join the group if they desired. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Brotherhood name implied only men, whereas fellowship opens the door to everyone. So that was the main reason for the change. Uh, The uh, Brotherhood of St. Moses the Black Fellowship of St. Moses the Black began as a ministry to the marginalized in this country. So Mm -hmm. we saw a need for people who encountered unusual barriers to entering orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. And we felt that we had the tools and the uh, personnel necessary to help level the field so that they could gain access to the best kept secret in America. (laughs) What were some of those access issues that um, minority populations were having with orthodoxy at the time? Sure. The, most uh, explicit way I can put it is actually to go to the five senses. Mm -hmm. So for icons, 
um, seeing icons, kissing icons, that that's one barrier. But the notion of uh, saints who are a cloud around us at all times, that that has to be learned. That has to, that's yeah. not something um, most Americans are familiar with in terms of hearing uh, the music. Uh, some of the music is easily um, assimilated. Some of the music is not. Mm -hmm. uh, for communion, uh, you can't have communion until you've been uh, baptized or chrismated. You don't just walk in an Orthodox church and, and take communion. Right. Even though orthodoxy is open to all, it, it is, as my kids say, it's got homework. <laughs> There's a certain amount yes. of work you have to do of dedication, loyalty, um, is another um, term the kids would say, you have to have skin in the game. You, you have to have participated before you can actually um, take communion. You have to do confession. Uh, and then there is uh, reaching out and touching. Again, that would be more along the lines of kissing the saints, venerating the saints, uh, and not being afraid to tell someone how you feel and receive um, absolution for that. So those are all concepts that would be new to, to most um, newcomers to orthodoxy that, that require barriers. Sometimes people are told when they, they come in an orthodox church, oh, your church is the next block over. You know, that, those are things that they have to see. Well, that person needs education. I'm here because God calls me to be here. And so you, it strengthens your desire to, to find Christ. The thing is, it seems, it seems as though, um, it seems as though beyond sort of dealing with the, the sy systemic sort of bias that we see in, in many Orthodox jurisdictions, and Father Moses Berry has talked about this extensively, it also seems like the fellowship, when it started, was doing a lot of translation work in terms of making these really theologically heady ideas about the sensorial embodied experience sort of, um, sort of intelligible and, and translated into a language that is accessible for certain communities. Yes. And certainly we did that through the unbroken circle, which mm -hmm. describes the journey to orthodoxy of several of us. And we also wrote the, uh, saints of Africa book, um, with icons and the we did a book on the um, prescription of repentance going into the details of what is repentance why is it necessary why you can't put new wine in old bottles you have to put new wine in new bottles right right so it's it's really interesting to me that the 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 brotherhood and what is now the fellowship has been this sort of important space in orthodoxy that allows um, black orthodox voices to come to the fore. And we don't see that as much in other spaces. Um, and this canon of racial reconciliation is is. In, I think in the American Orthodox social consciousness really tied to the fellowship of St. Moses the Black. And a lot of people, I don't think, myself included, did not realize that you had wrote it. 
um, because as you mentioned previously in a conversation that you had with the board of Axia, you wrote it sort of anonymously, right? And no one knew. (laughs) Um, And now that we know, we all want to know more. (laughs) So can you, can you tell us, um, in out of what sort of circumstances, uh, maybe spiritually or socially, that this canon arose for you, the creation of this canon, how it came about? Remember that the canon is a spiritual tool. Mm-hmm. It's a spiritual tool because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, right. against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians 6, 12. Protesting has its place, but to affect a spiritual change, then you have to use a spiritual tool. And that's Mm. what the canon is. So when you decided to write this, tell us the process of, of what that was like for you. As a writer, I'm always curious about the process of writing. So this is a really distinctive genre of writing, um, something that is chanted and prayed. Um, so could you tell our audience a little bit about um, what that was like for you writing this? Sure. The Canon for Racial Reconciliation was written in 2007. It was inspired by a child. A child came home one day after having had some uh, uh, uncomfortable conversation with his classmates. And he asked his mother, why did God make black people and white people? His mother replied, like flowers, God made people of many colors, like people, God loves all the flowers in his garden. And from that, I asked God to show me what does he mean? And I I fasted for three days like Esther. And Mm. then, interestingly, I did not sit down and write the canon from A to Z. It took about a month, and it, it was more like a bird building a nest, I would get little whispers while I was sleeping or while I was changing a diaper or while I was praying, I I would get little whispers uh, from the Holy Spirit. And and sometimes there were exact words and sometimes they were concepts that I had to to enunciate, that I had to to put words to. And finally, uh, after a month, then it, it began to come together. But it, it took about a month to write. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 really beautiful to hear you talk about that that process. And I know a lot of women who write and um, are also moms are also going through this process of, of writing at home and changing diapers and chasing children and um what a messy and beautiful moment it is for those of us who do that. <laughs> um, the, you know, the refrain of the, of the canon for me, glory to God for all the flowers in his garden, always reminds me of, of something, you know, Father Moses Berry 
says about finding the church in his own experience. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little to how your friendship with Father Moses um, and how your um, long relationship with him has, if, if it's had any impact on this beautiful work that you've brought to fruition for us. Sure. Father Moses, Barry, and Father Jerome Sanderson are two brothers, uh, correction, they are two priests who are as close as brothers. Uh, mm. They are about the same age. Uh, they came up and went through the, the, the journey through to orthodoxy together. Father Jerome is my cousin. And I'll tell you a story. Oh. Okay, uh, great. When I was five years old, I could not figure out how to ride a bike. And all my cousins are riding a bike. I mean, you would just. It just, I could not get it to click. And so he picked me up because he's 10 years older than I am. Picked me up. <laughs> he put me in his basket and I got to ride in the basket uh, with him oh, as wow. he delivered newspapers. And, and so uh, I am forever grateful uh, to him. And, and for that reason, we, we've always been very close. They, he introduced me to Father Moses. And how how is your relationship with Father Moses? Do you feel impact? Did it impact your writing of this canon? Uh, yes. And I'll tell you a secret. Okay. He is the child. Hmm. I was wondering that, and I thought this it sounds so much like what he would say, you know. And uh, it's it's wonderful to confirm a suspicion sometimes. <laughs> Um, well, certainly, um, I know that the three of you are, are in, uh, in the, in the minds of many of us, um, in orthodoxy, three of the, uh, most important voices in, um, black orthodoxy in the U S if not around the world. And so we are so grateful that both of them have influenced you in some ways over time to write this beautiful canon and that you, um, inspired by God clearly, uh, brought this to light for us. And I want, I want to sort of go into the canon for a moment because I, there's, it's so rich and so beautiful and such a, a, a deep prayer that resonates with all of us. And at the end of the canon, um, there's the prayer that says, yay, Holy mother, awesome reconciler who cannot be put to shame. Help us to heal our wounds of race, class, gender, and nationality with the binding balm of the all-embracing Christ, who shall come again with glory and whose manifold united kingdom will have no end. And in this, you speak of our, our human wounds and our vulnerabilities, which include gender. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to that, which stuck out to me really clearly as I read through it the other night, along um, with the women who were chanting live on Facebook. Sure. Gender is certainly a sensitive topic. It's somewhat taken a backseat to all the current uh, issues we have right now. I'll, I'll tell you another story. Oh, great. Remember, <laughs> I love this. Remember um, His Eminence, Archbishop Dimitri, 
uh, of mm. Blessed Memory. We were very close. I could ask him mm. anything. So one day I asked him, what about becoming a deaconess? And mm. one of his eyebrows raised, not both of them. <laughs> and he looked at me and then he looked through me and he just said, you're, you're not quite ready. And so, and, and I, and I understood what he meant. I, I was not seasoned. Uh, mm. You don't go to France without some understanding of the roads of, of what France looks like. And, and to embark upon that particular um, service will require a seasoned um, person. And, and so I, and, but because of my trust in him as my hierarch, I accepted that. But then I also said, well, I'm going to get seasoned. I'm, I'm going to start studying the Bible more. I'm going to start loving God more. I'm going to say more Jesus prayers. I'm, you know, if that's, you know, the path I need to take, then, then I'll begin working on that. And so that's the same way I feel about gender, that in the church, um, women have um, certain roles. We have to work with the Holy Spirit. You cannot preempt the Holy Spirit enforcing what you want for whatever reason you want it, be it good or bad. It is according mm. to the Holy Spirit. There's this wonderful phrase in Zechariah of, it says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So we can want certain things. We can even ask, as long as you're ready to receive the answer. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In, in talking about spirit, um, I want to sort of shift us from the Holy Spirit to thinking about the spirit in which the canon has been received in um, Orthodox circles. Um, and the, these questions um, I, I find are, are really important to talk about. You know, one of the things I study is how things are received, reception. And I'm wondering um, what's, what's the reactions that people have had to this canon? I, I know as someone who shares it widely on social media that responses vary. Um, but I'm wondering what the responses that you have received. So far, all of the responses are positive because, because the canon puts responsibility on all parties. It is not mm -hmm. one victim and one oppressor. Right. The canon spreads responsibility to all. Hmm. What would you say to someone, you know, I've seen, I've actually seen Orthodox clerics on Facebook say things such as, we don't need to have racial reconciliation. We're already reconciled in Christ. What would you say to something like that? I would pray for him. Hmm. I, I see this canon as truly doing the work of reconciliation. Um, not just racial reconciliation, but I also think it reconciles us to each other in a moment when we are so um, separated, not only by this virus um, 
physically, but we are also separated politically on many in many ways in the Orthodox Church. Um, there is great division, and uh, we only see it increasing by the day. And I, I see this canon as not only bringing us together for racial reconciliation, but for the reconciliation of ourselves to one another as as members of Christ's body. So I truly thank you for that. It's very meaningful to me, Dr. Thomas. You're welcome. I was wondering if you have any last words of encouragement for us in this very, very tenuous political moment that we're experiencing right now with all of the protests. If you have any exhortations or encouragements that you would like to share with our listeners. I, I do. Uh, so often uh, people want someone else to do something. You know, they want, you know, the hierarchs or the priests to do something. But if there is to be peace, let it begin with me. Let it begin with the people that I come across and to share with them a kindness or to do a kindness for them unbeknownst to them. Uh, let, mm. let peace and reconciliation begin with each one of us. Such wise words. Thank you so much, Dr. Thomas, for joining us today. We so appreciate you and we so appreciate this canon. Um, and for those of you who would like to uh, contribute to the wonderful philanthropic work that Dr. Thomas is doing, um, along with her husband, especially the work that she's done for um, St. Luke's, her home parish um, in Anniston, I encourage you to go to St. Luke aniston.org to learn more about this vibrant community. And if you would like to support Dr. Thomas's work with the uninsured and the medically vulnerable of Aniston, there are two possibilities under the name of an umbrella organization that she runs called Saints Cosmos and Damien Society, through which I believe the canon of Recon racial reconciliation was published, correct? <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and there is a link on GoFundMe, which we will uh, link in our podcast description to Saints Cosmos and Damien Society, or you can write to them um, a, a care of Dr. Carla Thomas at P.O. Box 1887-1401 Woodstock Avenue, Anniston, Alabama, 36. Two zero seven, Dr. Thomas, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for um, sharing the, the beautiful gospel of Christ through this canon of racial reconciliation and sharing your time with us today. We are so grateful not only to have you as part of this conversation, but to have you as part of Oxia Women. We are truly blessed. Thank you. Thank you.